Good morning. My name is Kevin, as Steve said, and uh, I'm the groups and discipleship pastor here at Genesis Church. I'm excited that you are here this morning, and uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you guys. Um, today is our last message in this series we're call, that we've called A Light Has Dawned, and uh, you know it's only fitting that we're going to look at the story of the Magi visiting Jesus after he was born on the Sunday after Christmas, and we're going to be reminded today... That just as God guided the Magi to Jesus, God wants to guide us as well. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you may want to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Or there are some Bibles uh, maybe in the seat around you, underneath the seat around you. If you want to grab one of those or if you, uh, you jump online on your phone, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. And as we turn there, let me pray for us. Can I just pray real quickly for us, please? Father, we love you. I love you. And... Um, Boy, I believe that your word is true. And I know one of the things your word says, Father, is that um, every day of our lives is ordained by you. And I do believe that each person in the room here this morning is here for a reason. And I also believe, God, that you long to speak to us, that you're a loving Heavenly Father, that you love us as your children, and that you want to guide us and speak to us. Father, would you do that this morning? I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear from you. God, speak words of life to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so shortly after uh, Jesus was born, um, he, uh, Mary and Joseph took him uh, up to Jerusalem to dedicate him. Okay, And so they took him up to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, as was their custom as an Israelite family. They would take the children and dedicate them uh, before the Lord. Kind of a little bit like what we do here when we do child dedication. If you're a parent, you've ever dedicated your child here, you've seen that happen here. This is what Mary and Joseph do for Jesus. So right after he's born, they take him up there, they dedicate him. Uh, They will eventually uh, flee to Egypt Uh, before they uh, eventually land in Nazareth, and Nazareth will become Jesus' hometown. That's where he'll grow up as a a boy and as a a young man, and he'll call Nazareth his hometown. But before all of that happens, while he's still living in Bethlehem, Jesus is visited by some special men, and they bring him some special gifts to honor him. Now, today is a little bit different. we don't have child care for the elementary age, so we have several kids in the room who are under the age of 12. Uh, is this on? Hello? Yes? Uh, okay, good. Um, here's what I want to do. If you're under the age of 12, I want you to raise your hand. To you raise your hand? All right. Kids, this is your opportunity to do something you've always wanted to do in church. You're going to get a chance to participate, to talk out loud. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask a question. Uh, don't say it yet. Don't answer yet. What were the three gifts... That the Magi brought Jesus. There were three gifts he brought Jesus. Who wants to answer the first gift? What was the first gift? Okay. That helps. You know what? It is on. And now it's on. Okay. You want to answer? What's your first name? Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Mackenzie, what was the first gift the Magi brought Jesus? Myrrh. Myrrh. That was one of the three, and I don't think it matters which order. So you're correct. All right. Let's give Mackenzie. What's, uh, okay, what is the second gift? Who else? Who wants to give me, what's the, what's the second gift? What's your first name? Johanna. Johanna. What was one of the other gifts? Gold. Gold. Nice. Give Johanna a round of applause. Okay. 
We have gold and we have myrrh. All right. So there's only one other gift. Let's see if this fine young gentleman can get it correct. What's your first name? Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, what was that third gift as the audience gasped waiting? Frankincense. Yeah. There we go. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We have some smart kids in this church. I'm very proud of you all. I'm sure many of you kids knew all those answers. But those are the three gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's what it says in the scripture. You know, we exchange gifts at Christmas time. And if you're uh, you're anything like me, you've opened a gift before at Christmas time. And you've been kind of maybe a bit disappointed. Right? You ever had that happen? Some of you had this happen this past week. You had, anybody had this happen this past week? You open the gift up and you're like, come on. Oh, look. Steve's, both of Steve's kids are raising their hands. All right. The Wallens. Well, boy, that family is transparent. I love it. Um, well, if you're, I think you girls will appreciate. And if you, if you had that experience this, week, this past week, maybe you're going to appreciate uh, the response of these two kids and the gift that... Uh, their dad gave them uh, on Christmas. Watch this video. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? Uh, thank you for my onion and my banana. Now, we might be able to learn something from that guy about giving gifts to their children. But uh, today, we're going to dive into the story of the Magi. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Magi. You know, magi, the word sounds like something you'd hear out of a uh, Star Wars movie, a character that would describe somebody in Star Wars or something. I mean, it, there's a lot of misconceptions about these guys. Who were the magi, really? Uh, there's tradition says there were three of them. Uh, oftentimes, they are referred to as kings or as wise men. We often refer to them as the three wise men. Maybe there were three, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't actually say that. All the Bible says is that magi came from the east. And scholars say that they were likely instructors or teachers of some kind. They may have been kings. They may not have. At the very least, they were men of wisdom and men of philosophy, which basically meant these were guys who were seekers of the truth. 
And they were not Israelites, so they were probably very unfamiliar with the Bible. They probably didn't know the scriptures. And in their day and in their culture, the study of astrology played a major role in seeking truth and wisdom. And so they were likely some version of astronomers. But... Uh, that's why we see them say, or that's why we see them say, hey, when we saw his star. Now, they weren't studying the stars, though, just for the sake of learning about stars. Again, they were looking to the stars to find truth and direction for how to live. They were looking for guidance. So this morning, I want to ask you, first question is, where are you looking for guidance in your life? Where are you looking for guidance? Maybe if you're, um, maybe if you're a little bit younger, you look to somebody who's a musical artist, right? And you listen to their songs and you listen to their lyrics about life and you think, yeah, I, I, I like what they're saying. I, that's what I believe. Or maybe you look to an athlete or maybe you look to a successful business person and you like their lives and what you see in their lives and you, so you decide to adopt their opinions or their principles on life. Some of us trust our own intelligence. or We think we're sometimes smart enough to figure things out, to figure out life, or we depend on lessons and personal experiences that you've had. Maybe you just uh, look for guidance on Google. You can just Google it. Or you, maybe you ask for Siri for help on a daily basis looking for directions. I, I can't stand her. Um, <laughs> never seems to work for me. Uh, as Christians, as Christians, God wants us to look to him for guidance. And it's point number one in our notes today is that God wants to guide you. God wants to guide you. He wants to show you how to live. He wants to give you direction and answers and meaning and purpose for your life. But here's the catch. You have to want it. You have to want the guidance. We must want God to guide us because God will guide those who want to be guided. Oftentimes, uh, my wife and I are driving down the car, and uh, I'm, I have uh, self-proclaimed directionally illiterate. Like, I can't, I can't find myself anywhere except for Google Maps. Thank you very much. I can use that on my phone. But I don't, I, I'm not good at directions. My wife Paige is a little bit better at directions. There will be times when I'm driving down the road, and she can tell that I'm kind of getting lost or have some questions about where we're going, and she just sits there and waits for me to ask because she's learned that I have to want to be guided before she gives me directions. That's what's best. Do you want to be guided by God? You know, contrary to many nativity scenes in our home, Jesus was no longer lying in the manger as a baby when the Magi arrived to visit him. In fact, it's likely that several months had passed since Jesus' birth, possibly even up to two years He may have been a two-year-old by the time the Magi arrived from the east. And they likely came from Babylon, which would have taken a really long journey to get there from there to Bethlehem. And so this is no three-hour drive to Grandma's house. This is is not a journey that is uh, filled with stops for fast food and Starbucks and easy fill-ups at the gas station. This was a long and difficult trip for the Magi. They had to leave their homes and families and jobs. They had to organize a large and expensive caravan. It was a costly trip. It was dangerous and risky. They probably risk uh, attack from uh, thieves and bandits along the way. And the point is this, that the Magi put forth a tremendous amount of effort to seek Jesus, to meet him. How much effort are you putting forth in your relationship 
with Jesus? How passionately are you seeking to discover God's will for your life? Let me ask you this. Would God look at you and would say, yes, this man or this woman, they're seeking me for guidance and direction in their life. See, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life and you accept Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, you're submitting to him as the Lord and leader of your life and in all areas of your life. But it's possible, and unfortunately I think it's fairly common, for someone to accept Jesus as Savior and for the forgiveness of your sins, but yet not submit to him as the Lord of your life on a daily basis. It's possible to have Christ in your life, yet pay little to no attention to him on a weekly basis. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what he wants for us. He wants to guide us, but we have to want that guidance in our life. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, if you put forth the effort, if you display a sincere desire to be guided by God and to walk with God, God's going to open the door and he's going to provide direction for your life. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God says this to his people. He says, you will seek me. And you'll find me when you do what? Seek him with all of your heart. One of the biggest challenges I've had in my own walk is following God half-heartedly. And I've learned the lesson. The Lord doesn't want half-hearted followers. He wants wholehearted, devoted disciples. God wants to guide those who sincerely want to be guided. He wants to give you direction in your life. That's what he did for the Magi, and he wants to do it for you and me as well. Let's go back to the story of the Magi. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, when the King Herod heard this, when King Herod heard the Magi had come to search for this baby, this king of the Jews, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When King Herod met the Magi and heard they were looking for a king, he was deeply disturbed because Herod was just insanely suspicious that someone was going to come and overthrow his throne. He was always worried about somebody coming in and taking his place. In fact, he even killed his own family members. He killed his sons because he was afraid they were going to try to dethrone him. Caesar Augustus once remarked that you were safer being Herod's pig than you were his own son. This guy was a vicious ruler. And so when he was disturbed, all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And while Herod was evil, he was smart. He was smart, and he was smart enough to surround himself with advisors who knew the wisdom of God. And so he calls together the Israelite priests and their teachers. And do you notice what happens when he calls them together? What did they do? Where did they turn when they answered his question? They turned to Scripture. They quoted an Old Testament Scripture. It's Micah 5.2. Look at this. This is what they quoted from the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So here, the Magi show up and they ask, hey, where is this king of the Jews that we've heard? We have saw his star and we've come to worship him. Herod hears this. He calls in the Israelite teachers and the uh, priest, and what do they do? They open the scriptures and they say, yeah, well, they say that there was going to be a born, uh, a baby born out of Bethlehem. And they point to Bethlehem. What's interesting to me is that they've turned to scripture for guidance. Their advisors knew that God reveals his plans and that God guides his people through the Bible. And you know what? Just as God guided the Uh, magi through the scriptures, he wants to guide you and I through his word too. And that's point number two in your notes. That God wants to guide you through his word. You know, the the priest and the teachers of the law were looked to in that day as the ones who knew God's word and knew God's plans. But today, we can all know God's word and God's plans because we've been given the Bible. And while it's good to learn from other teachers, and it's good to come here on Sunday mornings and hear uh, what I think are good, sound, biblical lessons, God wants to personally guide you through His Word. Just as God used the Bible to guide the Magi 2,000 years ago, He wants to use the Word to guide us today. In fact, let's just look at a few passages of Scripture that describe how how God wants to guide us. Look in Psalm 119. It says, your word, the Bible, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. Just as much as the word gave guidance to those guys 2,000 years ago, it can, God can use it to give guidance to us today. It's alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word can pierce through our hearts and speak to us, and challenge us, and convict us. Look at 2 Timothy. It says that all Scripture is God-breathed. That we believe this isn't just a historic book, but it's God's Word. That these are the words from the very mouth of God. And that it's useful. It's useful for, look, for teaching, and rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to draw your attention here. It says, so that the servant of God. It doesn't say, so that the paid pastor can be thoroughly equipped. It doesn't say, so that the elder of the church, or the staff member can be thoroughly equipped. The servant of God. Each one of us, each one of us can be thoroughly equipped for the good work that God has planned in our lives through his word. Jesus said this. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you believe that? You believe that? Jesus said, man cannot live on physical food. That that's not what gives us true life. What gives us true life is spiritual food, God's word. Now, with the new year's approaching, it's inevitable people are setting goals, right? We see this, it's like every year and the news stations cover this. They talk about goals and resolutions. I was flipping through Twitter the other day and and all these famous people are giving their new year's resolutions and they're all asking, you know, what's your new year's resolutions? What's your goals? And it's good to set goals. There's nothing wrong with that. 
some of the goals, uh, the top five goals for 2014 were this. Here were the, here, let's see if you can guess these. You can probably guess these, right? The top five goals for 2014, they did a study going from five to one. Number five, exercise. Okay? Number four, less stress. People want to have less stress. That's their goal for, for 2014. Number three, um, improve their finances, spending less or saving more. Number two, get organized. Good luck. Number one, lose weight. Number one, lose weight. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but like, aren't these the same five goals every year? Like, every, like, everybody has these same goals. I mean, it's like, we want to lose weight. We want to get organized. We want to improve our finances. We want less stress. We want to enjoy life more. There's nothing wrong with all those goals. But can I point something out to you? I'm amazed at how much effort and time and energy is put into goals that have little to no eternal value. Our physical health is far less important than our spiritual health. The Bible says in Romans, our bodies are groaning and they're wasting away. As I approach 38 years old in just six weeks, February 3rd, in case you want to give me a gift. Um, uh, What was I saying? Um... (laughs) Thank you. Um, our physical health is far less important than our spiritual health. And the older I get, the more I realize. And some of you know, our bodies just start breaking down. Like, so exercise is good. I, I need to exercise more so I can more energy. But you're just delaying the inevitable, right? I want to challenge you in 2015 to give more attention to your spiritual diet than you do your physical diet. This morning, I'm going to give you a couple simple steps that you can take in order to improve your spiritual diet. The first is simply this. Read the Bible. Read the Word. If we believe what Jesus says, we've got to spend time reading the Word. I'd encourage you to find some kind of reading plan. There's, there's an app, that, a very popular app called YouVersion. It's a Bible app. You can get this on your phone. Many of you have this. You can get this on your phone. You can get this on your iPad. I think you can even download a computer version. But on you version, you, you might want to make a note. There are there are plenty of Bible reading plans that lay out for you. Uh, you could work your way through different books of the Bible and and uh, and work your way through the entire Bible if you wanted to over the year. I don't care what you read in the Bible; just read it. A few of my favorite books. I, I, if I were you, if you're thinking, "Yeah, I, I'm, I'm game. What, what should I read?" You don't know where to start. I start with the Book of John. I love the Gospel of John. John paints the relationship between Jesus and his heavenly father and how much Jesus loved the father and the father loved Jesus. And Jesus is a model for our life. I I encourage you to read the book of John. Maybe read Psalms. Nothing's transformed my prayer life like the book of Psalms. Psalms are nothing but a bunch of prayers. So maybe you choose, I'm just going to start reading through the Psalms uh, this week. Maybe you read through Proverbs, whatever it is. Make it your goal to read the Bible. Try to do it every day. Maybe it's just a few verses a day or a few chapters a day. But let me give you some freedom here, right? Let me get, let's talk real practical. Don't treat this like all the other New Year's resolutions uh, you said. Research shows that most New Year's resolutions are broken before the end of January, right? I don't know about you, but that's been true of me in my past. And I don't know about you, that's why I end up really just don't set resolutions anymore because it, it, by this time I'm like, okay, I, I never keep them. Now, if you're anything like me, once you break the resolution, you usually just give up on it because you failed to keep it perfectly. So what's the sense in trying anymore? That's the way I am. But don't do that with reading God's Word. If you miss a few days in your reading plan, so what? Keep reading. Just pick it back up where you left off and keep reading. Here's another thought to consider. If you're new to reading the Bible, okay, 
and you don't quite understand what you're reading, that's okay. Read anyways. I was 24 years old before I ever picked up the Bible and started reading. I didn't have any Bible background growing up. When I picked it up at 24, I barely knew the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. That's okay. The Bible can be a bit difficult to understand at times. That's okay. Keep reading. The more you read the Bible, the more it makes sense. Now, maybe you've been reading the Bible for quite some time, and you're ready to take things to the next level. And you want to go deeper than just reading a few verses or reading a few chapters every day. Or maybe you've found that you've gotten into a routine, and that's what it has become, a routine. And it's fairly stale. And so you read through the Bible every day, but really it's just become something you check off the list. Let me challenge you to begin studying God's Word. And there's a big difference between reading the Word and studying it. See, I find many people are willing to read it, but few are willing to really dive down and wrestle with the Scriptures. There's so many resources out there that will help you study the Bible. So maybe this year that's what you need to set your goal. And I'm going to start studying Scripture. I'm going to study certain topics that I'm dealing with in my life, whether it is finances or relationships, whatever it is. And kids, kids, listen to me. This isn't just for your parents. I want to challenge you too. Do you know, kids, that Jesus, when he was your age, whether you find yourself at seven years old or eight years old or 10 years old or 12 years old, do you know that Jesus studied the scriptures when he was your age? The Bible says that he had to grow in wisdom and he had to learn the Bible as a young man. You can do it too. Make it your goal that you want to tell your mom, tell your dad, I want to start reading and studying the Bible too. Okay. So maybe you're committed to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and you're saying, um, give me something helpful. Give me something practical. I'm going to share a simple study method with you this morning that I've used uh, dozens and dozens of times, and I have found it to be really helpful. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you haven't. This study method it is called SOAP, S-O-A-P. If you're taking notes, uh, you may want to write down some of these notes. Okay, So you can use this study method alongside your daily Bible reading plan. Um, I've always used a journal. Uh, I don't have been always, but shortly after I became a Christian, uh, sometime after I decided, oh, you know what, I, I, there's so much I'm, I've, God's teaching me, I want to start writing things down. So I, I got a journal. Maybe you want to get a journal. Uh, sometimes people are afraid of journals. Don't be afraid of a journal. It's just a notebook. Uh, uh, grab a notebook, grab a journal, and here's what you can do. You grab your Bible. I'm going to tell you how to, you can study the Bible uh, this week. Grab your Bible, you open it up, you start reading something. Read a portion of Scripture. Okay, Once you have read a portion of Scripture, whether it's a few verses or a few chapters, you're going to open up your journal or notebook, and you're going to start writing. What you're going to write at the top of the page, the first letter you're going to write is S. And S stands for Scripture. And what you're simply going to do is, after you've read a few passages of Scripture for a few minutes, you're going to identify one key verse or one key phrase that has left an impression on you while you read. So maybe it's just a verse that just stood out to you. Maybe it's a verse that you have a question about. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is. What verse caught your attention as you read? Oftentimes, this is how the Lord speaks to us. Is he highlights a specific passage of Scripture and brings it to our attention. So once you've identified that verse, I want you to write that verse down word for word. Write it out. Whether it is one sentence or two or three sentences, write that whole thing out on the top of your page under the letter S. Now, move on to the next step. After you've done that, you move on to O, observation. 
And here's where you want to write just a three or four sentences, okay? You write three or four sentences out, observing what you see in the passage. And so what do you see there? What's going on? What's it saying or not saying? What's the passage say about God? What's the passage say about us? Is there a truth to believe there that you've just read? Is there a command that God's calling us to obey? Um, Maybe there's an example of somebody that you want. There's an example, a biblical example that you want to follow. Whatever it is, write down a few sentences based on what you see in the passage. Then move on to the third step, which is A, application. So I'm just I'm going down my notebook page. I've read a few uh, passages of Scripture. I've picked one that left an impression. I wrote three or four sentences of observation, and now I'm going to apply it. I'm going to make it personal. What does this mean for me personally? I mean, based on what you see, how are you going to specifically respond in your life? And write down three or four sentences saying, because of this passage, because of what I see here, I will fill in the blank. I'm going to do what? How am I going to respond? If God speaks to you, you want to respond. Is it something you need to believe? Is it something you need to confess? Is it an action step you need to take? Number four, P is prayer. So you've read some passages of Scripture. You have highlighted one that specifically stood out to you uh, and caught your attention. You wrote that down word for word. You looked at that passage for a few minutes, and you wrote down three or four sentences of observation, what you see in the passage. Then you're going to write down a few sentences applying, I think this is what I personally need to do with this passage. And then what are you going to do? You're going to pray, and you're going to ask God for help, and you're going to write a little two-sentence, three-sentence prayer. And you're going to say, Lord, would you help me Live this out. Maybe you can ask God, God, why did you bring this to my attention? Maybe you ask God, is there anything else you want to say to me about this passage? Remember, prayer is a two-way conversation. God wants you to speak to him. He longs. He's your heavenly father. Your heavenly father longs to hear from you. But he's got some things he wants to say to you. And he longs for you to hear from him. And so take some time to pray and to think. Do you see how different that is than just sitting down, reading for 15 minutes, closing the Bible, saying a 30-second prayer, and going on without your day? That's valuable, and that's a first step we need to take. But if you've established that pattern in your life, then maybe you need to take the next step and start really slowing down and studying the passage and diving a little deeper. I think the SOAP method is a simple but very effective way to do that. Eugene Peterson, who is a pastor and author, he wrote the message version of the Bible, said this, the goal of reading the word is to listen for the voice of God who speaks to us. He wants to guide us through his word. So read the Bible, study it, pray over it. Okay, let's look back at the Magi. Let's pick it up in verse 9. After they had Uh, heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, pause. Are they in the the manger? Are they in the stable? No, this this is much more later. Maybe you've never caught this before. Look, they come to the house and they see the child, not the baby. This is much later. They see the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. How cool is that? After this long journey, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. After this really long journey, they finally get to Jesus. And when they encounter the king, 
the son of the living God, what did they do? They worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus. Listen, I want you to read the Bible. I want you to study the Bible. I want you to look for guidance for your life in the scriptures from God. But can I tell you this? God wants to guide you in areas of finances or relationships, all these different areas you have questions about. God, God wants to guide you in those areas. But ultimately, do you know how God wants to guide you? It's our third point in the notes today. God wants to guide you to himself. God wants to guide you to himself. Just as he guided the Magi to Jesus, he wants to guide us to Jesus as well. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, when you read and study the Bible, it's meant to guide you into conversation and relationship with me. The Bible isn't just a book of moral codes that we say, okay, we read the moral code and we try to put it in practice. No, there's a real person behind these words. His name is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Heavenly Father right now, and He is desiring to guide your life and to speak with you. But ultimately, He just wants to guide you to Himself, to relationship with Him. Because ultimately, that's the most important aspect of life. Let me remind you this morning. You are not an accident. You were intentionally created by God, and you were created for a relationship with Him. That your heavenly father loves you and he demonstrated that love by sending his son Jesus as a baby. But it didn't stop there. He went all the way to the cross and he died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. And he offers you this gift, this gift of grace, this gift of eternal life. And what's eternal life? John 17, 3 says eternal life is knowing God. It's having relationship with God. That's where life is found. That God longs to have an intimate friendship with you. What a great reminder as we get ready to start this new year. And you know what? As I started this week, I found something interesting. I found there were three distinct responses to Jesus' birth. First, you had Herod, who basically rejected Jesus. Then you have the Magi, who worshipped Jesus. But in the middle there, something caught my attention that I've never, never really seen before. You had the response of the priests and the teachers. Have you thought about this? They knew the scriptures. They pointed the Magi to Bethlehem and said, there's a Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. But catch this. There's no indication that they went to see Jesus for themselves. Have you thought about that? That struck me so much this week. I never thought about that. Why didn't they? They knew the scriptures better than anybody. He said, he's, he's supposed to be born out of Bethlehem. The Magi go and worship, and we don't see an indication that they didn't, that they went. Why was that? Can I tell you why I think they didn't go? They weren't searching for him. They weren't looking for Jesus. Are you searching for Jesus? Are you seeking God with all of your heart? Let's be a church family who says we will be a people who seek God with all of our heart. Do you stand with me? We're going to pray. Keep worshiping. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you desire to have friendship with us. 
that even when we reject you, Father, even then we would rebel, even, then, even when we not only reject you, but oftentimes we're indifferent like the teachers and the priests, God, you still pursue us. You still love us. And I trust that even this morning, those who are sitting in this room, Lord, I trust that you're pursuing, you're pursuing each one of us. God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength and the power to seek you with all of our hearts, God. Help us make our spiritual health and our relationship with you the number one priority of our lives. We need your help to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.